a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. We're, we're slowly making progress with the uh, computer situation. Not quite back to the point where I can uh, put graphics up. I'm doing my best, but I'm using a new software program and... Uh, with all the other stuff going on around the house and the family, I just have not had a ton of time to uh, go through my tutorial. So I'm I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I promise by next Monday you'll see something other than this hairy face. Uh, but I am glad that you're with us on the program today, and we are going to be talking about something that is actually of importance to gun owners all around the country, although the story comes out of Colorado. The website Complete Colorado has a, a story that is worth talking about here today. Emails show Edgewater Councilwoman coaching anti-gun activist, and a regional effort has been revealed. Now, you may or may not recall, but uh, last year, Colorado Democrats repealed the state's firearm preemption law, which, with a couple of exceptions, like Denver is a home rule city, and so a couple of their gun control laws have been allowed to stand on the books. Uh, but for the vast majority of the state, it is the state legislature that sets a uniform standard of gun laws, right, within the borders of Colorado, so that you don't have this crazy patchwork quilt of laws. You don't know what the ordinances are as you drive from one suburban community to another, Um Gun control activists hate that. I mean, they want it to be legally dangerous for you to lawfully own a firearm. They want you to have to know what the rules are when you cross over from one suburb to the next or else face misdemeanor charges, the potential of jail time and a fine. They love the idea of these local ordinances, and uh, they were thrilled to see firearms preemption disappear in the state of Colorado. We have not seen, however, since then, uh, a large number of communities implement new gun control laws. But there is an effort underway in the Denver suburb of Edgewater. And we first learned about this a couple of weeks ago when the uh, proposals came out that they were hoping to do all kinds of things. I mean, they really wanted to pass bans on carrying, not only in government buildings and public parks, which would be bad enough, but they wanted to go after uh, gun bans on private property uh, in some cases. And Complete Colorado, uh, with the help of a resident there in Edgewater who filed a Freedom of Information Act request, uh, were able to get a hold of some emails from a city council member uh, there in Edgewater who apparently has been not only leading the charge behind the scene, uh, but has been coordinating uh, this charge. Councilwoman Hannah Gay Kiao, according to Complete Colorado, not only helped write and uh, edit a presentation given by the Colorado Ceasefire Gun Control Group at a city council meeting back on April the 5th, but in these emails, she's also instructing others on what to say during their testimony to the city council back on April the 5th uh, and at a subsequent meeting on April 19th uh, discussing a, quote, laundry list of potential ordinances targeting gun owners and the one gun store uh, in the town of Edgewater. Uh, according to Complete Colorado, here are some of the highlights. And we'll just, we'll, this goes back to last December, but we'll, we'll, we'll start with fairly recent history. 
Um, March 18th, she's got a series of emails with several different people, uh, Company Colorado says, talking about the upcoming April 5th council meeting. Uh, she said, quote, the city manager with a request for armed security uh, at the April 5th meeting. While I don't anticipate getting a ton of attention beyond our borders, I've been told that it may be good to have police available when we talk about gun violence prevention, uh, in all caps. Uh, other places have had some scary people show up at the meetings. Um, fellow Moms Demand Action volunteers. Apparently, a cow is uh, a member of Moms Demand Action. Colorado reports that there were a couple of other uh, Moms Demand Action members who were emailed by the councilwoman to let them know that the first meeting was set for April the 5th and that she would be reaching out to, quote, other Moms volunteers. Uh, she then asked them to hold most of their testimony until the second city council meeting and asked them to, quote, float that date with other volunteers. So here you have a council member coordinating uh, behind the scenes with individuals who are going to show up, you know, in support of these new gun control laws. Uh, March 30th, she emailed uh, gun control activist Tom Mauser to talk about his upcoming presentation before the city council meeting. She said, I'd definitely like to get eyes on it before Tuesday. I mean, I want to, I want a sneak peek. I want a private look. Uh, April 1st, uh, Cal suggests the, uh, the language of the presentation. Uh, being made by this gun control group be changed to safer gun laws rather than stronger gun laws because you know it's all about safety right safety polls better than control which is why uh, you have seen the gun control lobby try to rebrand itself as a gun safety movement uh april the 12th this is after that first meeting was held in edgewater she then uh, emailed uh her mom's demand action uh, volunteers and told them when the upcoming meeting was, asked them to get volunteers to email council members to give or, or give public comment. Uh, she then shared a Google Doc, according to Complete Colorado, from her own personal server that the city would not release to one of her fellow gun control activists uh, without a, uh, excuse me, that the city would not release to the guy who actually submitted a Freedom of Information request, excuse me. Uh, Cal said the Google Doc contains, quote, everything you and they, meaning these gun control activists, need to know. Now, according to Complete Colorado, this intrepid citizen did eventually get access to the Google Doc, but because it was not on city servers, uh, there's no way to know what, if anything, may have been changed in the time between the requests. Uh, according to Complete Colorado, the document that the uh, uh, citizen did receive was an outline of what speakers should address and uh, what they thought would be the most effective talking points. April 15th, the city council member puts out more requests for Moms Man Action volunteers. Uh, she said, uh, quote, hi there, just following up. If you think you or anyone else from Moms may be able to speak out, here's what's been sent out to the council and will be posted for the public. Uh, April 18th, the morning before the meeting, uh, she sent out another email asking uh, one of these uh, uh, gun control activists to uh, summarize again at a high level each of the three categories of legislative options. Uh, and an interesting email from Complete Colorado uh, that they pointed out, April 14th, this council member in Edgewater is part of a group email that originated from the administrator for the Boulder City Council, uh, Taylor Ryman. And in this email, there is an outline for plans for working with other Denver suburbs, basically as a, a group uh, on enacting gun control measures that all roughly look the same, which on the one hand avoids that whole patchwork quilt argument that I was just talking about. On the other hand, 
this uh, again seems like an attempt, an attempt rather, to do an end run around the legislature. So we can't get these laws in place statewide. Uh, maybe you know, rural voters, uh, rural lawmakers don't support this. So instead, we're going to just change state law, and then we're going to try to establish a, a network of further restrictions on our Second Amendment rights. But it should be okay because it's you know just within the Denver area. She included model ordinances. Uh, for the community to consider adopting that were written by Giffords and every town for gun safety. And so that's important here. Look, Edgewater, Colorado is about 6,000 people. It's not a big town. Um, but it's not just Edgewater. What we are seeing here on the part of the gun control lobby are efforts to use the deep pockets of uh, their financiers like Michael Bloomberg and others to really go after our right to keep and bear arms at the federal level, at the state level, and yeah, even at the local level. Uh, and they are coordinating their campaigns. They they are coordinating their activities. This is just one small piece of a much broader agenda to criminalize our right to keep and bear arms. Now, the good news is, is that when these ideas got floated, when they became public, publicly known in Edgewater, there was a huge outpouring of opposition to the point that the Edgewater City Council said, well, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's back up here. Um, maybe what we can do is we can we can talk about some of these items. We don't necessarily have to vote on these items right now. Trying again to like scale back just as much as they think they, they can get away with and still put as much as they think they can get away with on the books. Uh, so they do have, they had another uh, working session on this topic last night in Edgewater, uh, but it is expected that Ordinances could come forward in the next few weeks, not only in that community, but again, we're looking at this in Boulder, Colorado. We're looking at this in a couple of other suburbs. And nationwide, we are looking at the gun control lobby doing its damnedest to try to repeal firearms preemption laws, either through the legislature or if that doesn't work, through lawsuits as well. You've got cases in Florida. Uh, right now that are challenging Florida's preemption law. Uh, thankfully, the Washington State Supreme Court last week just upheld that state's firearm preemption law. And so look for the anti-gun activists in the Washington State to try to use the legislature to target um, uh, that uh, statute next year. But this is something that we do have to take seriously. I think the gun control lobby is losing ground around the country, but that just makes them more desperate. And desperate people do dangerous things, uh, like try to undermine, again, our constitutional rights in the name of public safety. So even if you think you live in a pretty pro-gun community or a pro-gun area, pay attention to what's going on. Know who your city council member is. Talk to them from time to time. Uh, same with your county commissioners, right? We can't afford to ignore our local governments because the gun control lobby is certainly not ignoring our local governments. And so, uh, yeah, we've got to keep an eye on the ball there, too. Now, uh, let's get to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a case out of Missouri, where uh, Mexico, Missouri, where a, a man named Michael White Jr. This gets a little confusing. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison on Monday, for unlawful use of a weapon, four years in prison for resisting arrest, uh, he took a plea deal 
Uh, he was arrested after a shooting on October 7th of last year in Mexico, Missouri. Uh, officers said witnesses reported a man fired a gun when he drove by them. No one was hurt, but the uh, gunfire did damage a nearby vehicle. But it was only because it was a bad shot that uh, nobody was injured or killed. So Michael White gets a 10-year prison sentence for this. Uh, that's that's not a recidivist report. I mean, that's not a slap on the wrist. That's That's a healthy time behind bars. However... Uh, White is not going to do 10 years in prison for this. Instead, uh, he can get released early to probation if he manages to complete a 120-day shock incarceration program. So the idea being, okay, we're going to throw you in jail for 120 days uh, in the hopes that you don't want to spend 10 years in jail. And so when you get out, you will stay on the straight and narrow. I, I hope that that is the case. I really do. And I won't say that these, uh, you know, shock probations uh, never work or shock incarcerations never work. They can. But I got to say, a lot of it really depends on the individual going into this program uh, and the mindset that they bring with them. Because often you will see uh, these individuals get out, commit another crime. And then the problem becomes whether or not they actually get sentenced to that original sentence. Right. So let's say Michael White Jr., uh, completes his uh, shock incarceration, returns uh, to the uh, uh, public at large, and a, uh, I don't know, let's say a year or two from now, he winds up in some trouble again. Hope it's not going to happen, Michael White. I, I'm, I'm rooting for you, but let's just say uh, that a couple of years from now, Michael White finds himself in trouble with the law again. It is, you'd like to think that that 10-year sentence is going to be applied, but, you know, there's always some leeway. Uh, and this is one of those opportunities for the criminal justice system to start spinning the revolving door of justice rather than delivering actual consequences. So this is not the most egregious recidivist report that I have run across, but it's one that I think is definitely worth keeping an eye on. Uh, today's armed citizen story, Kent County, Michigan, where prosecutor uh, Christian Becker says a homeowner who uh, uh, got into a shootout with an intruder who was trying to steal his truck keys, uh, was justified in using deadly force. Uh, that decision announced on uh, Tuesday, but the uh, shooting took place back on uh, March 30th in uh, Byron Township. And uh, the prosecutor ruling that the homeowner was within his right to shoot and kill 39-year-old Christopher Carl James Worth uh, the prosecutor played a 911 call that the victim's wife had made, revealing the chaos that occurred before the shooting. Uh, police say that they think that Worth was hoping to steal a truck that was parked outside of the home there. Uh, he had both methamphetamine and uh, THC in his system, according to an autopsy. He was also at a parole absconder, and police believe that earlier that day, he had been involved in a crash of a U-Haul truck, and then he ended up stealing a car. Uh, that car was found near the home uh, where Worth was shot. Uh, the homeowner told investigators that he woke up late on the evening of March 30th, hearing a bang, and he looked outside and saw somebody was breaking his truck's back window. Um, his wife then wedged a chair against the door kind of underneath the doorknob to try to prevent entry into the home. Uh, but the prosecutor says investigation shows that Worth tried to force his way in and told the homeowner, give me the keys, old man. Uh, as Worth 
apparently gained entry through the door, that's when the homeowner fired. Now, it's worth noting as well that Worth was armed. He fired at the homeowner, too. So uh, the fact that this happened on March 30th, and it wasn't until May the 3rd that the prosecutor says, yes, this was a justified shooting. I don't, I don't know how much more justified it can be. Somebody who who doesn't belong in your house or in your truck shows up, tries to break into your car, then tries to break into your home and then shoots you or shoots at you. Yes, you have a right to protect and defend yourself. As the prosecutor said, uh, numerous bullet holes were found by the crime scene investigators all over the inside of the home. Uh, he said in his opinion that the homeowner had warned Worth to leave, told him that he had a shotgun. The prosecutor said to quote, uh, I'm not naming the victim, by the way, because he was the victim of a crime. Uh, but he said the homeowner, quote, had the right to fire as many shots as he needed to drive Mr. Worth from his home, defending himself and his wife. Well, even though it took a little bit longer than I would have liked to have reached that conclusion, prosecutors there uh, in Michigan did, I think, come to the uh, right decision there in this defensive gun use. In uh, Kent County. Uh, finally today, our good deed of the day. wish I had a picture to show you. This is where I, ah, I know, this weekend, I'm telling you, I'm really going to crack down on my uh, online, uh, 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 you know, uh, classwork here to get better with this software program. But anyway, Chrisfield, Maryland. Um, there's a woman named Christine Cook who lives in this small town who I, uh, I, I feel for. Um, Christine fighting cancer. Uh, the good news is her cancer has uh, gone into remission uh, and is currently in remission. So that is fantastic to hear. But, you know, it, yeah, cancer fights can cost a lot of money. Uh, even if you have health insurance, it can cost a lot of money. If you don't have health insurance, it can wipe you out financially. So Christine Cook doesn't have a lot of spare cash around because of her health struggles. Um, the other day, a pole fell on Christine's roof, and she didn't have the money to do anything about it. And she certainly didn't have the strength to move it off of her house herself. She was afraid for her own safety, for the safety of her grandchildren who live with her, for her pets. Um, and a local contractor, well, first of all, uh, her story was covered by a, a, a local news station, WBOC. And a contractor in Pittsville, Maryland named Cody Mills had a friend who watched this segment and his friend reached out to Cody and said, hey, man, you know, there's this woman who could use some help. Cody Mills says, I just like helping people when I can because I like to have them return the favor when I'm in need. Somebody come out and help me. So he talked to Christine Cook, said, happy to do what I can, drove out to her place, uh, said, quote, we got it done. And now she ain't got to worry about a pole hanging over. So. Cody Mills, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. We thank you for your very good deed. And Christine Cook, you keep uh, kicking cancer's ass, and uh, I wish you the best of health in the years ahead. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam & Company. Thank you for being a part of the program today. Be sure to check out the website, BarionArms.com, for even more Second Amendment news and information. I actually know how to put pictures in my stories at BarionArms.com, so we've got graphics and stuff for you there, too. Um, if you like what you see, and I sure hope you do, you can always become a VIP member. Just go to BarionArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. You can get a significant savings on your VIP membership as our way of showing 
our thank you for your support. We're going to give you exclusive content, like news stories, analysis, stuff you just won't find anywhere else. Because your support does matter, and it really does make a difference. Again, thank you for being a part of the program. I will see you back here tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. In the meantime, be well, be safe, and be free.